Welcome to the pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBAO. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So it's been so long since we've been in the studio with producer Richard. And I've seen you, but I, we haven't done this like thing in person in forever. And it is nice to be in the studio again. I feel yep. like we have a lot to catch up on. I did. So we got the Scorpion remains. Oh God, did you open it? Yeah. So here's what how happened. Bad, how bad was it? So <laughs> so Kristen, as you may know, has kindly saved her scorpion remains to give to my son who was desperate for them. He had forgotten about them. And I picked them up from Kristen. And then of course I left them at a friend's house. And then the next day I was like, I have to get that scorpion remains. Like she, you know, this has been this has been taking now weeks for this to, you know, this transfer to happen. And I um called my friend. I was like, did you find I have to come by I like left a tub of something and of like a scorpion. And it's like, yeah, we were about to throw that out. Like, hold on one second. And in Beckett now hearing me say this is like in the background, like scorpion, where's the scorpion? <laughs> I'm like, oh God, she's got to find it in the trash can or now like everyone's going to be mad. Kristen's going to be mad. Beckett's going to be mad. Like I am in trouble all kinds of ways. And then, um, so I did go to pick it up and She's like, I'm so sorry. It's all caught up. It must be from when we, you know, they had thrown in the trash, like, in a container. And she was like, who brought this to my house? Like, what crazy person brought this? I'm like, no, no, it was already chopped into bits. <laughs> and so then my kids were so excited. They were so excited. They okay. were, like, terrified to touch it. I'm like, it's okay. It's it's dead. It's totally dead. They're like, how do you know? I'm like, I am wise of the world. <laughs> because <laughs> Kristen, while screaming, made her husband cut it into three pieces. I ain't going in that. I took credit of my wisdom as all-knowing mom. I'm like, obviously, I know everything. Like, I know that that is dead. And then, um, and uh, so we had a good laugh about that. And it is now basically is turned into like scorpion panko like it's like crust oh god it's like that's it the most disgusting <laughs> oh i did not have scorpion panko on my bingo card yeah, for the that's day. what it is that's what it looks like now i saw it last night and like moved upstairs and i was like i hope this is all there is and then it's not like just strewn about the house and sort of weird crumbs beneath like the couch cushions which it may also be but what is left is just now basically like breadcrumbs if they were made out of scorpion yeah <laughs> well so thank you you know that's gonna wind up on like a Christmas. menu there's gonna be like some super ritzy weirdo it's gonna be like restaurant. a Jose Andreas thing <laughs> it's gonna be like on a margarita <laughs> it's gonna be like the last course at minibar yeah. uh uh, okay, so what are we talking about this week? Um, let me scroll through the script and find out. No, we're um, we're going to talk a little bit about the Dem primary. It has been polling Christmas over the last 72 hours as everybody's post-Thanksgiving polls have come out of the field and hit the news cycle. So we will discuss the shifts in the Democratic primary as well as the lack of shifts in impeachment as we move into this next phase of the process. We'll talk about Trump's job approval. And last week we discussed whether Republicans liked Trump or Lincoln better this week, our dear friends at Monmouth have asked, do Democrats like George Washington or Barack Obama better? We will discuss. Then we'll talk a little bit about trust in the media. Pew has done a new study where they're breaking things out by party. 
who tends to trust or not trust reporters, and does political awareness influence those views? Finally, we'll get into the UK elections, uh, Brexit-mess, and some things about travel and the holidays. So we have an action-packed show today. Yeah, action-packed. Well, that's exciting. So the Dem primary, I know there's like state-level polls, which we don't have to talk about too much. Yeah, there was an Emerson poll that came out, and there is a big divide in my Twitter feed between those who said, oh my gosh, Emerson poll shows whatever it showed. And then people going, if you tweet about this Emerson poll, I'm going to unfollow you. <laughs> so we are a polarized a polarized world out there. Folks. Yes. Those who stand with the Emerson poll, those who do not. I mean, I think um, people just like to kind of react. Yes. They like to have a reaction to them, you yes. know. And right, I saw someone say like, oh, you know, someone talking about crazy poll results. And then I guess like a couple weeks ago, somebody said folks should release the methodology of their poll the day in advance of releasing the results so you could have people respond to whatever they think the methodology is without knowing whether or not it supports whoever they think it's supposed to support. So you, you have to put put your cards on the table for yeah. like, do I trust this poll or not? Yes. You can't just decide based yes. on what it says. Yes. That's, uh, I like that. I know. That's a good ref- a Twitter reform. <laughs> I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I thought that was good. Um, but the big, you know, there's a couple of things in news in the Democratic primary. I mean, the first thing is the debates. I mean, obviously you have qualifying polls and you have non-qualifying polls. And so Andrew Yang is now qualified for the next debate. There was a poll, that, a Quinnipiac poll that was national that came out. There were two polls that came out yesterday. One was Quinnipiac and one was Monmouth. Um, those are the two polls that have come out with a lot of more frequency. So those are the two we, you would expect to have uh, come out right before a debate qualifying deadline, which is tomorrow, I believe. Um, and uh, and so folks who haven't heard this, my husband who uh, has been doing the media for Andrew Yang. And so it's like definitely after the bullet, I don't follow the kind of twists and turns of the qualifying polls the way I did during the bullet campaign. But anyway, it is now it's his turn to follow the twists and turns of the debate qualifying polls. So <laughs> just a pro tip on keeping the, you know, keeping your marriage hot and spicy with like deep dive conversations about the cadence of public qualifying debate polls <laughs> how often they come out how many you can expect to have right before uh, right before the debate deadline anyway so that means the debate field is probably set um and uh there's unlikely i think to be a change depending on how many polls come out in the next 24 hours but it's probably unlikely to be a change in the debate field um and then you know the national primary polls though taking those two in account plus some of the others that have come out politico and economist and so on um and i feel like there's an economist new one that's come out since we started since we did the script like in the last hour but it shows, you know, I mean, it it shows some trends for Biden kind of staying where he's been over the past few weeks, Sanders being where he's been for the past few weeks. But you were noticing some other changes. Uh, yes. Well, so, you know, this is one where Biden and Sanders, if you take the long view, if you look back over a year, they haven't moved a ton. I mean, there's this spike in Biden when he announces he jumps by 10 and then sort of settles back in around 30. Sanders has kind of been hanging out just under 20. And, and, you know, with some variation, for sure, these aren't flat lines. But Biden's been hanging out around 30 for a year. Sanders has been hanging out around 18 for a year. But Warren has really seen a ton of movement. So back this time last year, Elizabeth Warren was polling 
around 5%. Now, there weren't a ton of people in the field being polled at all. There was a lot of uncertainty. But even as you headed into early spring, Elizabeth Warren had kind of a rocky start and was polling pretty poorly. Then over the course of the summer and the fall, she really shoots up there and at one point sort of ties Biden in the polling averages. But since October, her numbers have slid pretty significantly to where she is now at 14.8 percent on average. Um, this is real movement. I mean, where the, the other two kind of big frontrunners have been fairly stable. Her numbers have, have been much more variable. And so her and Mayor Pete, you know, they're sort of her falling as Mayor Pete rises, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, doesn't really surprise you me that much when you realize that ideology is not necessarily as big a driver as, say, you know, both Warren and Buttigieg being quite popular among very highly college educated, more perhaps higher income type folks. Um, so, you know, but this is this is not great for Elizabeth Warren because there was a time a couple of months ago when it was like she's going to win Iowa. She's got this. She's the clear leader. Um, and these polls just show that over the last few months, I mean, losing 10 points is is a pretty significant deal. Yeah. I mean, the other, you know, and obviously the national numbers not how we decide the candidate and it's not how we pick the nominee. So will these numbers change after people see the results and the coverage that comes out of the results from the early state voting? Invariably, they will. Um, you know, you, then you have Super Tuesday and, and everything beyond that. Um, and how we're starting to see some polls that show Bloomberg moving a bit, which I think reflects the national buy that he has that really dwarfs a lot of the other candidates are doing, especially in, in states that are not early uh, primary states. Um, and then, you know, the second Second choice, which we talk about this sometimes, there aren't that many um, outlets that release second choice question by your first choice, which is how you would do it internally. Internally, you'd look at, okay, this person's, you know, voters move to this candidate or that candidate. And so sometimes you've seen that. Like I know you guys, when you do your omnibus, have released that. And Mm -hmm. I I think Morning Console does that um, in their tracker. Um, But I don't always see that. Uh, broken out this way, and certainly not like the full range uh, the way it is here. So they have in the Quinnipiac poll, Biden's, uh, who, you know, Biden's first choice voters, where do they go for their second choice? And they're kind of distributed across Sanders, Warren, Klobuchar, and Buttigieg. They're, you know, I don't want to say they're equal, but they, you know, to those four, um, while Sanders voters, their second choice is Warren followed by Biden and and not a whole lot of other places. Um, Warren's voters are more divided between Buttigieg, um, Sanders, and Biden, um, with a plurality going to Sanders, but not as disproportionate as Sanders' voters are going to Warren, while Buttigieg's voters go to Biden, uh, Warren, and and Klobuchar, but, you know, a plurality to Biden. But it's interesting to look at the full range. Yeah, the, the, if Biden were to drop out tomorrow, Buttigieg would benefit. But if Buttigieg were to drop out tomorrow, Biden would not be the main one benefiting. It would be Warren. I mean, there it's pretty closely split. 1623 right. is not huge. And these are small. Yeah. These are teeny tiny cell sizes. So I'm per, this could actually just be like three people that I'm drawing this wildly irresponsible. This is the answer. <laughs> um, three people are the answer. Um, but it, it is interesting to me that 
you know, it, it is not as though it's like, oh, you've got these clusters of candidates where they are all just, you know, trading off amongst them. And so there are clear lanes. It's it's more complicated than that. You also have among the folks that say, I don't really know. Um, you know, I'm not sure uh, that those I mean, if, if those people make up their minds, you could see Sanders see a slight bump because, you know, 16 percent of the overall sample says, I don't really know yet. And a third of them go to Sanders. If all of a sudden those people sort of make up their mind, he stands to benefit the most, whereas very few of them say Warren or Buttigieg. Um, it, the, the undecideds at the moment, maybe it's just that they haven't tuned in and Biden and Sanders remain sort of the biggest names, the most known quantities. Who knows? But um, I, that's where I see some good news for Sanders as well. OK, so speaking of news, impeachment, um, if we're taking a look at these numbers, not a ton of movement, as there hasn't really been since the, the big start of the process. Um, the House announcing this week they're proceeding with two articles of impeachment, I mm-hmm. think it was. Support is at 46.7 percent. Don't support is at 45.8 percent. Don't support. Um, if you look at the breakout by party. This is the impeach and remove impeach and remove model question. that 538 tracks. The begin one, the other one, we talked about this before. They haven't had any b- new begin questions in a while, which begin now is kind of broader, but they haven't had any in that bucket. So yeah. we're just talking about the other one. Um, and the numbers have stayed fairly flat among independents, although they seem to have sagged most among Republicans. And as we have neared the end of this process, there was a point in time when at least one in 10 Republicans said that they would support um, impeaching and removing Trump. And that that has faded now. It's only 7.9 percent, not a huge change, but enough to sort of explain, um, you know, it, it's not as though this is like gained traction with Republicans. It's if anything, it's gone the other direction. And what also hasn't moved is Trump's approval numbers. I mean, these are, you know. Yeah, it's sitting at 44.6 percent. So um, not not the highest. It's certainly better than it was a year ago when we were yep. sort of staring down a government shutdown. Um, but these these numbers have been unbelievably stable. One thing I do wonder, though, is from time to time, the president will tweet out 95 percent job approval among Republicans. And I, it's possible. It's possible. The, the public polling I've seen shows it around 90. So it's not like that far away. I'm just curious. Is this like him tweeting out internal polling numbers? Is this Rasmussen crosstabs that I just haven't been able to get my hands on? Is he making these numbers up entirely? And and why? <laughs> well, I mean, the why is the why to me is easy. The why yeah. is he likes to be loved and he loves to be to demonstrate his total and utter domination sure. of this party that tried to reject him. But candidate uh, 101 <laughs> is don't talk about polling, okay? Don't talk about process. Don't talk about polling. If, if you get asked a question about polling, just just say, oh, I don't know about the polls. When I go talk to Americans, they tell me they care about what fighting for the middle think class. What Donald I, Trump ever I, took a candidate 101 <laughs> class, Marcy? You're just like, imagine <laughs> what candidate trading, four years candidate trading, and it's like, got, like a former political director of whatever doing like <laughs> a candidate training with their like PowerPoint that they typically do around the country, but it's just 
just, you know, an audience of one, shall we say. And <laughs> and he's like going through the handout with his like black Sharpie. <laughs> like, oh, I have a question. <laughs> what if I don't do anything you say ever? <laughs> just tweet out. Then you get to be crazy, president. Crazy stuff all day that is just misspelled lies. <laughs> uh, so. Um, anyway, sorry. Be, 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 before we move on from from presidential talk, um, <laughs> last week we discussed some polling that was done by, I believe this that was the Economist YouGov folks, where it was a question yeah. of who do you think was the better president, Abraham Lincoln or Donald Trump? And then it was Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump. And on Lincoln versus Trump, Republicans favored Trump. And people were like, oh, my God, that's terrible. How can you do that? So our good friends at Monmouth have uh, answered the call and have put the question to voters, who do you think was a better president, George Washington or Donald Trump? And who do you think was a better president, George Washington or Barack Obama? So George Washington beats Donald Trump 71 to 15. Um, So not a huge, uh, not a huge surprise there. Even among Republican voters, George Washington edges out Trump by a narrow but not non-existent 44 to 37 percent margin. (laughs) (laughs) Among Democratic voters, however, Obama wins uh, 63 to 29. Like that's not small. That's not small, Margie. Sure. Okay. No, I mean, look, you know, it is fair to say how come this nugget did not like rocket around the world in like lightning speed the way Mm, we will address in the discussion of media bias after the break. That is a proof point. (laughs) You know, I, I mean, you know, there's like reams and reams of investigative reporting of, you know, corruption and things that need oversight. And then there's also this, which is a fair point on the other side, you know? So I like, I totally, I get it. That is good. I really liked how Monmouth wrote in here. This question was inspired <laughs> by a recent YouGov question. That was good. I mean, you know, and it didn't make as much news. You're right. <laughs> I concede that. George Washington, best president ever. February 22nd birthdays. We rock. I'm just saying. Us and Drew Barrymore. So you know exactly how you would have answered this question. Yes. George Washington (laughs) trumps everyone else. George Washington versus Ronald Reagan. Yeah, I'm team George Washington. Cards on the table. First president, best president. It was all downhill from there. Lincoln. I like Lincoln. I'm not saying I don't like Lincoln. Richard is like contesting my my strong pro-George Washington views. I'm pro Lincoln. We can like a lot of them. I'm just saying, first president, best president. I'm sure that view is problematic because George Washington definitely had problematic things in his past. But first president, best president. Yeah. Well, at any rate, not all Republicans agree with you. Not Not all, all, but more agree with me. (laughs) More agree with me than Democrats. Okay, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how people think about the media. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups 
It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, we're back. Pew has just rolled out a new study on people's trust in the media. Spoiler alert, it's not great. But there are huge gaps along the lines that you might expect by partisan lean. So Pew has asked people, do you believe that journalists have uh, ethical standards? Do they have high ethical standards, very high, low, or very low? And according to this survey, uh, 79% of Republicans think that journalists have low ethical standards. Meanwhile, for Democrats, 64% think they have high ethical standards. However, most people or pluralities of both parties do come down in this more middle range, right? right. So for, for Republicans, 31% say very low. And I suspect if you cross-tabbed that with that earlier question about who's the better president, George Washington or Donald Trump, 37% of Republicans say Trump. I would bet that that 37% and the 31% here who say they think journalists have very yeah. low standards, that there's a lot of overlap there. Um, but 48% say they just think it's low. Uh, meanwhile, for Democrats, they don't think that journalists are all like Aaron Sorkin-y he- hero- heroes to a person. They right. Have, they have their beefs from time to time. But 53% say high, 10% say very high mm-hmm. ethical standards. What I think is the most interesting finding in this study is they they figure out who is uh, highly political aware, somewhat politically aware, less politically aware. And then they say, do you have confidence that journalists act in the best interests of the public? And so there's a gap. Republicans and Democrats don't agree on this question. About three quarters of Democrats say yes. Only three in 10 Republicans say the same. If you are very highly politically aware, the gap is 75 points between thinking that journalists have the best interests of the public at heart or not. I mean, that's just massive. But then if you are less politically aware, it's pretty similar. Yeah. That like you're more just kind of middle of the road, vaguely skeptical, which sounds to me like a a very like independence going to independent kind of thing. Right. Or you're just, you know, you are not tuning in. You know, you're you are deliberately opting out of some of this of the conversation. And so, you know, you're you have less fewer strong feelings because you've decided to kind of stay away from the conversation. I'm fascinated by this battery of questions they then ask. They they ask people, do you um, do you believe or dis- or agree with a variety of different statements? One is have a great deal or fair amount of confidence that journalists act in the best interest of the public, which we just discussed, have the high ethical standards. Then they also ask, do you believe media criticism keeps political leaders from doing things they shouldn't? And Democrats are much more willing to say yes to this, 82 percent versus 50 percent for Republicans. But I'm actually surprised that number is as high as it is for Democrats right. in the Trump era, where he does not seem to do a whole lot of anything differently because the media doesn't like him. Right? Right. So, so I was surprised at that figure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're you're right, right? You're like, you could, but I think maybe among Democrats, there's this like, 
Well, you know, the press should, there is so much happening. There is, you know, corruption and power and influence that is, you know, hurting the country at all levels. And maybe it's not Trump specifically, but it's, you know, there's so much of it that it's it's good to have this exposed and, you know, the exposure is helpful, right? That this is a problem that people feel worried about. But you're right. It shows an optimism that seems... You know, I don't want to say misplaced, but yeah. I guess encouraging, maybe question mark. I mean, it is interesting, right? To well, think and, about feeling optimistic that that you know actually things could be worse. And it is not that Republicans on the whole are just not reading national news at all. Sixty four percent in this survey say they have at least some trust in the information from national news organizations. So it's not as though they're sort of entirely just shutting it out and saying this is all terrible. But I think there is a sense that things are not always handled fairly. Only 12 percent of Republicans say news organizations deal fairly with all sides. And only 37 percent of Democrats agree with that as well. Um, Now, I would assume those respondents have a different perception of what biases do exist. Right. But that is those two dots on that chart are not so far away about does the media deal fairly with all sides? Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. I mean, did you – you did something on this – I did. Topic. Is this consistent with what you found? It is. And one of the things that I think is important is that it is not that people want a state media. Like I know a lot of folks are like, oh, people only want a news that's nice to their side. And it's more that they want news that is – willing to go after the other side in what they think is equal measure. So, for example, the stories from the summer about um, uh, the stories from was about uh, child separation Mm -hmm. and, oh, my gosh, kids being put in cages and all of this stuff. And everybody rightly said this is terrible and it's we need to put a light on this and we need to stop it. But then Republicans, I think not incorrectly, would go, wait a minute. When this stuff was happening during the Obama administration, there, where was the outrage? Where was the national news coverage? And so that's the sort of thing where Republicans go, I don't mind if the media is going to ask the Trump administration tough questions. Why was everybody just fawning over Obama and not asking him tough questions is their perception of, of where the unfairness is. I mean, they think that people are – that media doesn't like Trump and is trying to go after him and Trump has done plenty to try to cultivate that. But I think it is not that they want everybody to just throw softballs at politicians. They want politicians to be held accountable. They just want all politicians to be held accountable and feel like that doesn't always happen. Hmm. Okay, I take it you don't agree with that well, position. I mean, I'm sure you don't. You know, <laughs> Laura Ingram called them summer camps. I mean, you know, there's there's increasing detention. I mean, you know, it's okay. We can we can go into that another day. But, but I I disagree that the that it was like everyone agreed and then it was over that Trump did this terrible thing and like the whole no uh, that's true all of the right wing media agreed and therefore what happened no actually he's no increasingly, no no you know he's continues to but do it's terrible the, the things. things that were done during Democratic administrations or under Democratic leadership, if then done by Republicans, suddenly that same action becomes much more outrage worthy. So and you also see, you know, if uh, another example Republicans have been talking about is whatever has been going on on the Hill with regards to Schiff getting phone records about Devin Nunes and Rudy Giuliani and who was putting phone calls into whom, that if a Republican had subpoenaed and then released a bunch of phone records about 
people on the other side, like, would that have been like, oh, my gosh, this is an abuse of government power, stand for civil liberties, like all that stuff. All of a sudden, like the civil liberties crew is like real quiet when it's, you know, Devin Nunes, whose phone records are getting put out there. So it's that kind of stuff that I think drives Republican agitation and a belief that, hey, we like we don't dislike national news organizations or think they're lying to us all the time, but wish they would hold everyone's feet to the fire in equal measure. That was what I heard from that research before from Republicans. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Should we talk about the UK election? We can talk about it real briefly. So the UK election is going to be, I think results will be coming in as this podcast hits the airwaves. So we can just sort of wrap up with the polls seem to be closing here at the end. So a week or two ago, things were looking pretty good for Boris Johnson. Um, in the last week, a couple of things have happened. Uh, he, the shift has been that the race is no longer seems like it's just about Brexit, but healthcare is becoming a bigger issue, which is one that's potentially bad for Boris Johnson. Um, as Jeremy Corbyn talks about mm-hmm. wanting to, you know, full, more fully fund the and, um, National Health Service. At the same time, Boris Johnson has really been sort of doubling down on this like get Brexit done message, with two ads slash stunts. Um, one of which was. He got on a bulldozer that was like painted as if it was like the Union Jack and drove it through a barrier like the barrier said gridlock. And so all of a sudden, like you see this bulldozer drive through the barrier and on the scoopy thing on the front of the bulldozer, which I'm sure has a name. It says, get Brexit done. And it's it's Ugh, him bulldozing gridlock. God. And then, Ugh. I legit loved this. I know that you, we can discuss your love for love, actually, which I share. And he did an ad that was um, the scene from Love Actually where Kira Knightley is being told via poster board that, like, her husband's best friend actually is in love with her. Which is like the worst storyline of the whole Yeah, it's not that... great. It's not great. Um, but it's Boris Johnson like holding up the like, say it's carolers. This Christmas, your vote will count more than ever. Let's get Brexit done so we can move on to other things. You know, like holding up these signs. And then at the end he walks away and he's like, enough, enough. It's time to move on from Brexit. Get it done and move on to other things. And I'm like, he even does the enough, enough line from the movie. Margie, you have such a disgusted look on your face right now. I mean. I loved it so much and I'm so sorry. I I don't like (laughs) Boris Johnson. I like Love Actually. I'm sorry. I have a two-hour break once a year from my feminism and it's to watch Love Actually. And I I am allowed that, okay? (laughs) I get to have that. And and but that storyline is not is definitely bottom like you could just cut that out and the movie would be like would improve like it is not you know you don't get any sense anyway we don't need to go into why it's problematic it's problematic because it's like creepy and not very appropriate of a friend and you don't really get the sense that like he has any feelings for her besides the fact that she's beautiful Kira Knightley and I don't know and it's just like sort of creepy and stalkery. I also think Kira Knightley was like 17 when that movie was shot. The whole I mean you know the whole I'm gonna, thing I'm was I'm going to effort this right now because I really want to know. The whole thing was just a little like it was a bit of a like a bummer when other scenes I think are better. Anyway so um so that's so that's all of that, right? And I just don't want Boris Johnson infecting like the kind of relationship I have with the yearly kind of hate hate tweets and hate posts about love, actually, <laughs> which like I kind of enjoy the conversation. I feel it shows that we're all trying to be better, but um, and uh, my like my gang was having a spirited, you know, Facebook conversation about this, and I was like, my husband, whenever I ask him to say. 
bottle, he says, this movie is crap, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, one of my favorite. But I don't want Boris Johnson involved in any of this. Like that just makes me mad. Well, so my this this is sort of the the closing the loop on what is my favorite hot take of the year, which you are probably going to hate. Which is that actually love actually is responsible for Brexit. And here's <laughs> why. Here's why. Nope. And I'm cribbing this from, I believe this was Amanda Dobbins oh, at TheRinger.com. Great website. Who basically says that the scene where Hugh Grant's character stands up to the American president right. and is like, Britain is great. We are awesome. Yeah. We stand on our own. We're going to face up to the bullies and yeah. do our own thing. Right. That that was like tapping into. We can into... harass our own assistants. We don't need no. you to come here and harass our assistants. Right. Are that... you saying she had no agency? No, or is I, that... know. I know. I know. There's yeah. a power dynamic. Yeah, no, I know. It's I know. Of, it's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. But that is what he was. That is a little bit of what he was saying. Anyway, go ahead. So all I'm all I'm saying is she has, I think, made a reasonably compelling case that you can trace <laughs> the beginning of Brexit <laughs> and this Britain needs oh, to stand God. up and be strong on her own back to Hugh Grant's speech in this movie. So Boris Johnson closing it out with a Love Actually themed ad is like chef's kiss. <laughs> Perfection. I don't know. It's Whoever still... is writing season three of, 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 of all this, this, season three of all this, if season one was Trump's first year in office, whoever wrote season three was like a nice touch. It's, I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I um, I started, We started watching The Crown. I watched like a couple episodes of The Crown. Ooh. Are you in the first season? No, we're in the third season. Oh, okay. Have you watched any of the third season The yet? new one. Yeah, there's a scene where uh, Princess Margaret like goes to the White House and tells dirty limericks. Anyway, it's very fun. It's very entertaining. <laughs> so I was like, is this true? Like, like an idiot. I'm like, oh, it's her. No. So one of my <laughs> favorite <laughs> unbelievably like sassy, snarky books is it is called it's called like a Southern a Southern Girls Primer or Why Princess Margaret Would Never Be a Kappa Kappa Gamma. It's like, it was like written in like the late 80s or early 90s. And I think they've updated it now to be like, to not say Princess Margaret because I don't think most short of the crown people right. my age don't really know who know Yeah, know she that. needs to be brought back because she yeah. looks like a hell of a good time. But like it tells an anecdote about like Princess Margaret going to like some part, like going to Dallas and yeah. going to like some party with all these like Dallas society women and like smoking a cigarette inside and all of these ladies being like aghast and like she may be British royalty but she would never make Pi Beta Phi at the University of Texas. <laughs> like it's just, it's written yes. like this like very tongue in cheek I get book. it. Like, what does your silver pattern say about you as an individual? Like, it's it's hilarious nonsense like that. I understand. Strongly recommend. I understand. From but that was my first learning about Living Princess in Texas Margaret. and watching two episodes <laughs> of The Crown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I now get the whole thing. <laughs> Thank you. That was, uh, was anyway, you when you get there, I mean, Helena Bonham Carter is obviously incredible. And, yes. um And it was all very entertaining. So all you need to know, listeners, about the British elections, just <laughs> real quick, we're back there, I promise, uh, is that the polls seem to be closing. YouGov released their second uh, MRP, Mr. P model, that shows uh, a drop of 20 seats in their prediction for conservatives, a r- an increase of 20 seats in their predictions for labor. This is based off of, I think I read this is based off of 100,000 interviews. Huh. How many people are there that are voting in Britain? I don't know. 
mean, I know it's more than 100,000, yes. but I just mean sampling as a proportion of the overall population. That's, that's a flipping lot of people. I'm all about it. Good for you, YouGov. Yes, so, but is it over however how long, though? I think it's over a long period mm. of time. I don't yeah. think you can just, like, snap your fingers and get... Yeah. My God, I do not think you can snap your fingers and get 100,000 interviews in a week, but eh, maybe you can. Well, we'll see. We'll know. By the time you're listening to this podcast, we will begin getting information about who's winning and who's not. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about travel and Christmas trees. So stay tuned here on The Pollsters. We'll be right back. Okay. Travel time is upon us. The holidays are in full swing. Yeah. And this is some new polling from, this is an article in the New York Post. Oh, the source is Wellness Heaven. Don't know what Wellness Heaven is. Don't know what their sample frame is. They said they did a survey of 1,157 hoteliers. Uh, What do people steal from hotel rooms? They find towels. 77.5% say towels have been stolen from their hotel. This list is crazy. 65% (laughs) say bathrobes. That is reasonable. I have often wanted to steal a bathroom. But I feel like most hotels now, if the bathrobe is gone, they charge you. Like they say, if you want this cushy robe, it's going to be 100 bucks or whatever. You're like, oh my God. Okay. Um, Hangers, 49.3%. Although. I will say those hangers are weird because they're always like the wrong size for the bar. Right. And then I went over to my friend's house to hang my coat in the closet and I was like, what is this hanger? Like this definitely came from a hotel. So I called him out on that. I I mean, (laughs) I don't want to bring, I mean, I guess I don't want to bring anything bulky. I would never want to bring hangers, those heavy wooden hangers or towels home with me. Mm -hmm. Like... I'm trying to get rid of stuff. I'm yep. not trying to bring out bathrobe. If there's a nice bathrobe, I often contemplate bringing it home, I have to say, of this list. But the rest of this is like, who brings a pillow home from a hotel? That's like, I that's guess weird. if you're driving, maybe it seems like something you want to do. Dishes. And- Why would you bring a remote control home that's not going to work <laughs> on anything? I do I do feel a little bad, though, because this lists pens. Of course. That's not stealing. Are you not supposed to take the pens? Wait, that's not stealing. That's mine. I can take it. I thought it, I thought <laughs> it was supposed to be able to take it. And then I don't know what it counts as cosmetics, but if it's saying that I'm not supposed to be taking shampoo, the little shampoos and soaps, then hard disagree. Haul me away. Hard disagree. <laughs> or a coffee Guilty maker. Like, who would take a coffee maker from a hotel? No, that's weird. Uh, most of these other things, Light bulbs. like batteries... You gotta really. You gotta need some stuff you if you're doing need that. Need some stuff. You're ripping the batteries. Yeah, yeah. I once went to. I once went to a hotel and it had this like really big sign about the remote control being clean, and it was like, "I am clean. We're cleaned once a week. Clean." Like I had like so many things that <laughs> said it like multiple times. I was like, "Oh my god, this is so not clean." I've not thought about hotel remote controls until right now. Oh, Thank you. I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, one thing that I think is funny is that, uh, it said this is a non-scientific survey. Um, luxury hotels have to, (laughs) what? No way. (laughs) They have to deal with guests stealing mattresses more often than you would expect. That they're actually more likely to see large items go, so they're more likely to report it. Um, they say guests will attempt to take mattresses at night when the reception desk isn't open. <laughs> Why? Have they murdered somebody? Or like, what? Well, something gross happened. I don't know. There's no reason to I take a mattress unless have 
something really bad has happened. An unbelievable on number of questions that I actually don't want answers to. I just have the questions. That's awesome. And then YouGov has a study on airplane behavior. And this is a hotly contested debate. I feel like we've talked about this on the show before, but a majority of Americans say it is acceptable to recline your seat on an airplane, but keep your shoes on. Uh, So to bring pungent food with you, most people say that is unacceptable. To take your shoes off, it is a divide. About 35% say it's acceptable. Uh, 55% say that it is not Reclining your seat is significant. People generally think it is acceptable, 69%. I would argue that in all of these cases, it is a circumstantial situation. Like there are shades of gray on a variety of these. What's your take? I basically am, I allow pretty much any kind of behavior on, like flying is miserable. I fly a lot. Other people don't. They don't know the rules or they're uncomfortable. They got to do whatever it is, you know? And so, I try to be very zen, and I'm among my most patient self on a plane somehow. Like, it's just the only way to get there. And the thing that I really – and so I have I don't have a problem with the reclining, even if it's like you're already squished. It's not the person's fault. People get mad at the person. You should be mad at the airplane. You know, you should be mad at the airline. You should not be mad at a person who's also uncomfortable. Like, that's to me, is like a symbol of, like – the elites making us all turn on each other is like people fighting over airline <laughs> reclining, air seat, you know, seat reclining. Like that's you know, you're you're missing the problem here, and, and it's that we're also you know we're paying more for less. Like that's the problem anyway. But so never mind that. What I really don't like is when people do not use the overhead bin properly. That is. Yeah, that affects me, and that makes me mad. Don't put your coat in Don't until coat everybody's in. bags are in. You can stuff it on top of the bags. Or put it on your lap or whatever. Like, Ugh. you just have, you know, if people put their laptop bag, like, flat up there or whatever, they have a, t- you know, they don't know how to do we it. We all and have to live together in a society, yes. people. So that part, then I get mad, and then I get, like, I get... I get a little grouchy or I call or I rat everybody out to the, you know, flight attendant. So that's my thing where, like, I have a system and it's the right system. <laughs> that's how it's going to go, you know. But all these other things, people are just trying to live, you know. Yep. For the take your shoes off, I think this is. International only shoes off. International, like, long haul flights. Yeah. And you have to still have socks. You cannot have bare feet. That is an abomination. <laughs> If you have some clean compression socks that you are changing into, permissible, totally permissible. But do not just let your nasty feet out there. That's horrible. On yeah, the, on I'm, the, I, it's kind of gross, but I still just try to, you know, yep. keep my head down and just decide that that person probably... As long as it doesn't smell, I don't care. But people are not. Right. But anyway. And then on seat reclining, I try not to recline my seat unless I need to sleep. Like I try really hard not to do it. Because even though I feel like I have the I have the legal right to having paid for the seat, I try not to exercise that right unless absolutely necessary. And I do feel annoyed when the person in front of me on a two hour flight where no one's sleeping reclines. I'm like, come on. Come on. This is sillyhood. But I was on a flight recently where it was a little bit longer. And while, like, food was being served, like, drinks and, like, the snack cart was coming around, a lady in the middle seat in front of us reclined. And the guy next to me, like, starts berating her about it. Oh, God. And then the guy next to him, like, 
aggressively gets involved. And I thought there was going to be a fist fight. And then it turns oh out God. the guy in the aisle seat who was getting engaged in the fight, he was actually awkwardly trying to defend the middle seat guy f- against recliner lady. And, like, I understood middle seat guy's problem because with the seat reclined, he didn't have space to put his food or drink. Oh, my God. But, like, I thought I was like, they're going to have to land this plane in Omaha oh and, like, oh cart God. people off. Like, the cops are going to have to arrest people. Someone's going to get clocked like this is going to be so bad I'm just going to keep looking out my window and pretending like this isn't happening Uh, it was bad that's bad the other thing that I don't like I think I've said this before is when I'm sleeping and people wake me up because they think (laughs) I'm dead because I sleep with my I'm flexible enough that I can put my head on my lap and just sleep on my lap and people somehow think that that means is a sign like come talk to me and ask me if I'm okay which it's not it's a sign I'm asleep don't do not this is my this is all I have please leave me alone um, but sometimes when people recline and I'm doing that that can be painful if I'm all the way forward and they're reclining then I get like a tray in the head but that's not their fault it's the airlines know the enemy we must all rise up <laughs> come together and rise up against our enemy of the airline Last but not least, since it is the holidays, we have some polling on Christmas trees. Most Americans plan to have a Christmas tree in their home this year. 38% say they will be using an artificial tree they already own. 26% say no, they will not have a Christmas tree. Only 15% of people say they're going to have a real tree in their house. And another 11% say they plan to buy one, but it will be artificial. That seems like a low percentage to me of people getting... Real Christmas trees. Yeah. This is a critical Hallmark movie plot point is the Christmas tree lot. Is there a Hallmark movie about like all the ornaments constantly freaking breaking? And now you just like (laughs) want to throw the whole goddamn thing in the trash. (laughs) That's the movie of my life. (laughs) Where I'm like, look, I don't care about Christmas tree. I do this for you guys. (laughs) You're going to keep breaking those ornaments. Like I was like a crazy old lady for a couple moments. Now, have your kids brought home any like really ugly ornaments? Uh, So... Uh, n- yes. Well, I don't say they're ugly. They're beautiful. They were made at Home sure, Depot, sure. and they were had pictures in them. And <laughs> go with uh, it. whatever. And then, <laughs> and then you know, I had like I have ornament note cards that they can draw on, and you know, Beckett's like I made all the the things from Frozen Two. I'm like, okay, great, sure, and that's fine because it's not going to break and shatter like when everybody's just sort of mangling it. But like, it is just completely. Every, every day for the first week, an ornament broke. And I was like, could I just like, take the tree and just like smash it? Like that's how I felt about it. I was like, why is this like, do I not understand the meaning of Christmas? Is the meaning of Christmas broken ornaments in the trash? Because if so, I get it now. Like, it's, you know, I don't understand. Oh, no. I mean, so that's my... Anyway, that's my thing. Do they break because they're falling off the tree? No, it wasn't so much falling off the tree. It was part of it just like, oh, I want to look at this one again. Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Mom. You know, like, oh, we broke it. What was that? So it was just an ornament. You know, know, anyway, it's just how it is, I guess. So I can see the appeal of no tree for sure. We don't have a tree every year. It depends if we're going away. Um, And uh, also, like... I don't know what the environment impact is of getting Christmas trees. I feel like having an artificial one 
probably has some advantages. But also just like the process of like the clutter and breakage and money spent on the tree. To me, it's like I, it's, there's something I don't have the lo- I don't have the childhood love of a tree. I only have this like mom management of a bunch of breakable, expensive <laughs> things. You know, <laughs> like that's like I don't, that's not as rewarding. <laughs> I love a good real tree. Typically, the the only fight my husband and I have each year is is the tree straight. Yeah. While he's trying to like hold it up, and I'm like, it looks straight. Wait, let me get a different angle. No, 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 no. It's leaning. It's like ten degrees lean to the yeah. left. You got it. No, no, no. Your other left. Your other left. Wait. Okay. So hold it right there. I'm gonna go check the other angle. Oh, now it's screwed up at the other angle. Yeah. Hang on. So this is like perpetually our biggest fight. And this year, he plops a tree in, throws the thing up, and is like, "Is it straight?" And I'm like, "Yes." Hang on. Let me check another angle. Yes. Oh my gosh. Let me check one more angle. It's perfect. Like one and done. That's it was good. a Christmas miracle. That's good. So there's peace in the Anderson household. So sometimes no it Christmas depends tree on the tree, right? The trees don't always look exactly straight. Anyway. Nope. Well, I don't know. I think we've learned some not nice things about me and Christmas. I do have some good Christmas habits, I guess. Corny, I have one corny Christmas habit, and that of is love, actually, and that and I and Christmas cookies. I do like Christmas cookies, and then everything else. It's a lot of work. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I wish everybody listening a happy holiday season. If you uh, have any fun, like cookie recipes or yeah. traditions, share them with us. Tweet at us. You can find us on Twitter at, at the Polsters individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at Kay Soltis Anderson or www.thepolsters.com. Thanks. Bye.